Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never got home. They never got home. They never got home. Those those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports important. There are certain days I feel bad for our non-members, Smurf. Mm. Days like today. You're a big-hearted old soul, aren't you, Andre? Well, it's you know? just... Empathy for your fellow man. You've got to feel sorry for anyone who missed Ottawa Sheen and in sparkling form mm. on the podcast. After Where do you think you got it all wrong today? Well, no, we didn't have to ask questions like that because his Super Eagles soared <laughs> all the way they're, to they're the final soaring of up. the Africa Cup of Nations and they showed immense mental strength to they really see South Africa it after was, an action-packed semi-final. It was pretty mental. Well, the most amazing moment was the go two nil up and then suddenly realise that you're not two nil up you're, you're actually you've conceded a penalty the other end it's one all you now have to go to extra time before yeah. which South Africa should have really scored yeah. a winning goal to knock them out but they got through they're into the final against host nation Ivory Coast I'll tell you what we'll do we'll keep his analysis in Nigeria for our World Service members boo D- don't boo mm. don't, that's not polite no. No. I'll tell you what, we'll play you a bit of the broader conversation we had about this tournament Ken was impressed with some of Olawashina's pre-tournament predictions you told us at the beginning of the tournament that Mo Salah was not yet a truly illustrious son of the pharaoh. I have to tell you that people got in touch, many people. Liverpool fans. Many people got in touch to laugh at you, Oliver Sheena, and, and to say things like, who is this guy and what is he talking about? Now you are laughing at them, Oliver Sheena. Uh, what is Mo Salah standing now uh, with his countrymen after this uh, terrible tournament for him? I think sometimes it's difficult for fans to understand that this is no hatred. This is no someone trying to, you know, criticize someone unfairly. But it's the general perception of there are things Egyptians will say to you, but they can't say publicly. Imagine I wrote a piece where I spoke to generally people who follow Egyptian football to ask them about Mo Salah. And it was re-emphasized in that piece where someone said it will be, it will go down as the greatest Egyptian player, but it will never go down as the greatest Egyptian national team player. It never comes close. And that's not me saying it. Those are Egyptians saying it. But you see, some, fan, some fans get clouded by their, you know, bias because they are, they are fans of a particular player. But the truth here is this. Mo Salah hasn't done anything, you know, um, you know, worthy of being, say, is greater than Ahmed Hassan, who has four African titles, Osama Hassan, um, Mohamed Abu Treka, um, you know, um, uh, Mohamed Barakat, um, Wahil, Go, uh, Wahil um, Go, uh, Goma Wahil, who is a defender. These people won three Afghans back-to-back. The goalkeeper, 
um, as Osam El Adhari is he has four four African trophies to show for it. He played in those tournaments as the goalkeeper of Egypt, saving them against Ivory Coast in the semi-finals and all of that. So it, it was nothing personal. I wasn't laughing at Musala. I can't even laugh at him now. No star player rated before this tournament has actually light up the Afghan. Yeah. Because like I often say, the Afghan lacked logic. You can be the greatest player in the European League. When you come to the Afghan, you would have to prove yourself. You will have to come up against defenders who have no respect for you. They have no respect for your achievement in European football. So Mo Salah hasn't really, in my opinion, and in the opinions of people who genuinely follow Egyptian football, he is undoubtedly the greatest Egyptian player, but he still remains not the greatest Egyptian national team player. That he can't achieve because it's difficult time is going. He can't win three Afghan titles before the end of his career. He's never going to be Ahmed Hassan, the great um, captain of Egypt. So it's, it's not impersonal. Unfortunately, he suffered an injury. But that's, that, that's how this tournament pans out. So for me, I love Musala, um, young Liverpool supporter as a kid. Um, I love what he's done so far. But it's just you can't change the facts and you can't change the truth. I'm a journalist. I'm allowed to say what I think and what I feel. My opinion might not count. Everyone has an opinion. But the truth here is this. We're looking at the facts, stats and every achievement that everyone has done. And Musala, according to some Egyptians, is not the greatest Egyptian national team player. You also had an opinion, a strongly held opinion on Ghana before this tournament. You said, well, basically, they wouldn't do anything. They, they would never amount to anything at this tournament. And again, you were proven right. Do you feel any sympathy for the Black Stars, Alvagina? You know, as a journalist, I do feel, because they are one of the top teams in Africa. As a Nigerian, no. No, the mystery of Ghana and the suffering of Ghana is our joy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but um, truly, truly, I think a lot has happened to Ghanaian football. Journalists went on, you know, on protest. Um, Ghanaian sports journalists who have actually been loud and who have actually not really, um, you know, um, carried themselves with so much glory at this tournament. They overreacted, you know, you know, going for Chris Uting. I mean, Ghanaian football has been on a decline in the last decade. Just people don't want to accept it. People live in the past, which is the Ghana going to the quarterfinals in 2010. Since achieving that feat, Ghana football has been on a decline. Organizational structure, poor, um, chaotic organization. It's been all about money for those in charge of Ghanaian football, not about development, not about, you know, um, doing so much for the football in Ghana. That's why fans are up in arms, media are up in arms, and they said this president board of the Football Federation has to go. But, you know, we know how it is. Um, for Ghana, they need to put their house in order. They are, not far from, they are not far away from Nigeria. The only difference between Ghana and Nigeria is for the life of me and for the life of so many people watching Ghanaian football, they can't produce strikers to save themselves. Um, Nigeria has so many strikers, but they aren't even scoring goals. But Ghana can produce best defenders and midfielders on the continent. But they, they can't, you know, so they have no intentional development in the Ghanaian football institution. So that's really, for me, it's sad to watch. A country with so many decorations in African football, four titles, and they often play like they're struggling and they often play like they don't have any business at the AFCON. Two back-to-back group stage exits is no good for Black Stars of Ghana. Yeah, well, you'll be bringing them more suffering if you win on Sunday night because that would bring Nigeria level with Ghana on four titles. You sound pretty confident despite the atmosphere. It's going to be an intense atmosphere in favour of the host nation, but you feel Nigeria will pull through? Like I said before, it's not just coming from me. I think the players pass the confidence to me. They are saying that, look, they would rather prefer Ivory Coast and how well to shut them in front of their home fans um, I mean, the players believe they've beaten them before. They will always be them. They said they are, they've seen loopholes. They've seen how they play. Um, you know, there's how, they, they believe there's how much luck and magic of luck can take you in this competition. You either come ready or you go home disappointed. So they believe they have the mental strength and the mental edge to be the host. 
They can have 60,000 fans. The Super Eagles are the Super Eagles. And um, I think they go into that, they go into this game feeling so confident of how they played. I think if they can have all the players' feet, if they can do everything they need to do right, um, I think I also want to believe, I want to share in the optimism of the players that they can actually do it. But whatever the result is on Sunday, it doesn't matter. African football is the winner because Africa, for the first time, are having their tournament. The Western world has nothing negative to report about the Afghan. They look for loopholes, no tragedy, no drama, no, no disaster. Top referee or officiating, top VR, top use of VR, top fans, top everything. So for me, whoever wins on Sunday is just um, going to um, close the chapter and the curtains on a great African football celebration. <laughs> you know it's a good tournament when VAR is being praised mm. I hope you're enjoying the tournament I have said the word tournament a lot in this <laughs> short promo so I think we probably deserve the Rob Carter tournament treatment. the odds are heavily stacked in his favour talking about the Nigeria team. this was see these these clips were recorded at a time when we thought that Rob Cor- Rob Carney was you know quite a boring individual but it turns out he's the best pundit on television well, he's certainly Ken's favourite oh, just those ties I mean, you could just spend all of the six issues just admiring Rob Kearney's ex- exquisite ties in his and straight talking trousers. Punditry. You want to hear I more? Just... Forget about Rob Kearney, Murph. It's Oliver Sheen I'm trying to promote. Here. Oh yeah, sorry, that you, is true. You no. want to hear more Oliver Sheen, right? Well, yes. he brought his A game today. You can hear it all by being a member. Secondcaptains.com. Five or a month plus VAT. It was a bank holiday Monday in Ireland this week, so your usual Monday pod was switched to Tuesday for World Service members. As Ken cried foul on the celebration, police. Didn't notice anything unusual about what they're doing until I heard Jamie Carger's enraged mm. voice, and it was the tone of voice really more than what. Well, what what did he say? He's like, "Get get down the tunnel." You know, you've won a, you've won a game, you've won a, and then I'm serious, and and you think he's really annoyed about this, <laughs> <laughs> like ridiculously so. Yeah, come on, like it's maybe you need to also keep in mind <laughs> who have Arsenal just beaten, what team in particular have Arsenal. Maybe that might be feeding into Carragher's reaction. Here. Yeah, I mean, if you want to be, if you want to be a bit salty about it, at least you know Arsenal are entitled to celebrate one of the greatest moments in the history of their club. Mm. You know, it's like. You know, it, it, this this is great, but what he did was just—it was, was total nonsense, you know. And but Arsenal seem do seem to get this a lot, including, of course, from. Um, well, I, I've, I mean, it's sad to me that the blog seems to have been neglected this week, but um, we do at least have a clip. Listen to the theater, the sheer theater, of, uh, of how Richard Keyes introduces his uh, commentary upon Arsenal's celebration. Jason McAdoo's there as well. He's clearly the club photographer. Have Arsenal just won the league? Well, you see, Jason, I, I have hesitated to this point, but now you've got me. Yeah, you've twisted my arm. I, 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 I <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. McDevitt basically just did the exact celebration, celebration. I did. Well, again, yeah. I mean, the two two of the hairier presenters in. We're dealing with true media. puppet masters. Mm. Yeah. They're manipulating our our, uh, emotions expertly. Well, the effect of all this nonsense about Arsenal's over-celebration or just normal celebration having won a very big game uh, was to sort of divert attention away from what Arsenal's actually done to win the game, Mm -hmm. uh, which was completely dominate midfield in a way that left Liverpool looking like a a total also-ran. You know, they just couldn't get involved. They, They... the, you know, Gravenberg, I suppose, is showing why Bayern Munich, who don't really have that functional a midfield at the moment, we're happy to say, yeah, you can go. 
um, Jones, who's played very well this season, kind of overrun. Uh, Alexander Arnold's, I think, completed 14 passes in the game, which is ridiculous, consider, you know, considering how centrally involved he usually is. Uh, played terribly. Uh, and um, Arsenal's midfield three, Rice, Jorginho, and Odegaard, totally dominating. Um, I mean, the the way that they won the game was obviously a bit strange. There were a, lot, there were a couple of bizarre goals in the game. But Arsenal's, particularly in the first half, were so dominant that to concede the goal that they did at halftime was one of the biggest sickeners I've literally ever seen. You heard the silence. It was just yeah. nobody could believe what they'd just seen because they'd played so well, had been so much the better team than to go in one, one all, having conceded such a freakish goal. Um, felt obviously terrible, but they got back on the horse. Declan Rice standing there with Jorginho after the game. We'll hear we'll hear a little bit from them in a moment, but uh, he, they, you know, they, uh, Dave, Patrick Davidson's like, how did you do it? You know, the halftime must have been a really whew, tough moment, you know. And Rice is like, well, you know, we've got people like him, pointing to Jorginho, the skipper, me, and, <laughs> you know, we uh, we managed to turn it around. But uh, it goes on to, uh, and this question is being directed by Patrick Davidson to Jorginho, and Rice, of course, is standing by. It did feel like the midfield battle was absolutely key today. How pleased were you yourself with the calm you were able to bring to a really hectic game? It's what he's best at. It's what he's best at. No, it's what you're best at. No, obviously, look, when, before I signed for Arsenal, um, you know, the prospect of playing with him, party, playing against him before, um, knowing how he controls games, how calm he is on the ball. I think he's got qualities that not a lot of other midfielders have. And is you know, he a guy you've looked up to? Yeah, of course. Look, I'm, I'm a youngster. Uh, and no, of course. You know, <laughs> he's like, saying you're old though. No, but, no, but obviously <laughs> playing, <laughs> playing in the same position. Obviously, he does things that are at such a high quality. And for myself, I'm trying to learn. And I think over the years, he's been such a top player. And I think you know the manager trusts him, you know, wholeheartedly. So to come in today and play like he did, um, you know, he spoke to us yesterday and said midfield battle tomorrow is going to be massive. And we was really up for it today. He's so full of shit, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, well, sorry, I mean, but can I just I mean can yeah. I just point you to the fact that Declan Rice claimed in that interview that the prospect of playing with Jorginho mm. was one of the main reasons why he joined Arsenal. Shortlisted for Ballon d'Or a few years ago, wasn't he? Twenty twenty one when they won the Euros. Mm -hmm. um, Maybe Rice recognised up close having lost that Euro twenty twenty one final to a Jorginho powered Italy team. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, yeah. No, he did. He, over, he did get maybe he over and said, "Listen, you know, win or learn, you know." And I have not won today, but I have learned yeah. something. And that something is that Jorginho is possibly the foremost midfielder of his generation. The foremost midfielder at injecting calmness. It's what it's what he's best at. No, it's what he's best at. Stop trying to find me, Declan. That's what I would have thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If That's I had what Jorginho, Jorginho. said there, yeah. I'm kind of like, don't don't put me in a box. Mm. You know. Yeah, but. Uh, Rice claims to, now. There's there's a school of thought that Rice uh, had kind of agreed to join Arsenal um, around the time of the World Cup last year, which was of course before Jorginho did. Mm -hmm. But maybe <laughs> maybe they had informed him, you know, Declan, you know, we're going to be bringing in Jorginho, mm. and maybe that was maybe that's when he said, you know, get, the, get the pen out, puts the, puts, his, puts the paper down that he'd been reading, falls over the London Times and says, "Give me that pen." <laughs> 
<laughs> the deal, the deal You've is got done. my attention, Arsenal. <laughs> the, the deal is, but uh, well, he he also described himself as a as a youngster. Mm. I immediately googled his age. Twenty five. Turns out he shares a birthday with Richie Sadler and me good lady wife. Well, there 14th you go. Fourteenth of January. Oh, uh, yeah, he turned he turned twenty five recently. So yeah, I mean he's he's like. He's right there. He's in that bang in the middle. He's of his in that career. bracket, isn't he, Kenny? He's in that nice little area. He's in that he's not, bracket. He's not a young lad, but he's not a veteran. He's in that. What would you call it, Ken? You'd probably call it his prime, really, wouldn't you? You'd probably call it his prime. Used to be yeah. twenty-eight. I think twenty-five is a good age for prime yeah. years in football. Well, he was, to be fair. I mean, until he he starts doing interviews and saying all this stuff that he thinks you want to hear. I mean, he's like Brown talking to Daichi or whatever. He's like, you know, what do I think they want to hear? Yeah, yeah. Um, but but uh, he was amazing. Uh, I mean, he compl- he, he just uh, his ability to get to the ball to win every sort of duel. You know, he he's just it was one of his best games I think I've seen him have. Um, and Jorginho was good as well. Oh, Jorginho was excellent. I mean, Jorginho, the, who the manager trusts him, he trusts him so much. He's played is it twenty two percent of twenty four percent of mm. the minutes. But you know, that was a very important. That was a key twenty four percent of the minutes uh, for Arsenal. Uh, and he was extremely good in this game. And you know, Liverpool, I think, were a little bit below um, par. Well, I mean, they were they were a lot below par. par yeah. But I mean, they, part part of it is being made to look um, is being made to look bad. But also, I think they were they were under strength a little bit with Salah and though Sabasai, who today there's the story that Sabasai, who, who supposedly was sick or ill to, and missed the game, it may actually be out for another few weeks. With a uh, with a hamstring problem, which is a big, I mean, well, I think looked against Arsenal, you can see how much they're missing from him. Uh, Alexander Arnold was back only um, after being out for a while and played terribly, as I as I mentioned, um, was being shredded by Martinelli. You know, this Martinelli said after the game, "I always play well against Liverpool," and you're thinking, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I wonder why that is." I wonder, didn't he get left out of the FA Cup game that they lost? The the I think Martinelli started that one on the bench. I'm not 100% sure. But you could see the way that he was walking past Alexander-Arnold uh, so easily. And then what he did to Konade, it's still a nil-nil. Uh, you know, they were playing oh, these yeah. sort of early balls for it. And he just destroyed Konade. Well, that just doesn't, you know... Ogbeni would have been Ogbeni, Dan mm. Burns, that. It was almost Ogbeni-esque. Yeah. So... Um, that was, I think, in Kanade's head for this first goal that Arsenal scored, which was a really good goal uh, where they kind of made fools of the two Liverpool central defenders. But Kanade is thinking, I can't leave, I can't leave Martinelli here. I have to, I have to drop to try and cover him. He drops at the same time as Van Dijk moves forward. Say, oh well, I'm going to try and get the ball. I've got nothing to do here. There's nobody near me. Arsenal don't have any striker. There's nobody near me. I, I'll go and get the ball off Odegaard. So suddenly there's a big gap. Odegaard plays a great ball. Havertz, Havertz, who had a weird game, was kind of was kind of quite important in the game. Was also terrible in a lot of his, you know, <laughs> a lot of the things that he did. He, there, there was a moment when he got away down the left, and and you saw the the player chasing him was Alexis McAllister, and you think, you're in here, guy, <laughs> you're you're in. He wasn't in. He got caught, but he obviously. Um, Got Kanade sent off as well a bit later on, um, but we're we're getting ahead of ourselves. That was a good goal by Arsenal. There was then catastrophic goals, and obviously a lot of it um, afterwards. The the punditry when they weren't complaining about Arsenal, you know, being happy to have won a game, was about Virgil Van Dijk, mm-hmm. uh, his pub team defending. Maybe his head is elsewhere. 
Well, this is the thing. The, 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 certainly Keyes was saying that. He's already checked out. <laughs> Keane was saying he's a, it's a pub team. What was Keane said? Uh, I blame him for the three goals. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. I think he, you could. He, I think he definitely, in each of the three goals, if he had done something slightly different, maybe there's no goal. So you know, he had a part to play. The second one was definitely his fault. But... And the third one, Keane Keen makes the point that Trossard, look look how easy he makes it for Trossard. Trossard's almost reluctant to shoot here, and then he does, and, and Van Dijk hasn't really bothered getting across. So he just gets across enough to slightly deflect the ball and help it in. Um, but I think these two moments, the, the, both the second and third goals, are very typical Virgil, Virgil van Dijk defending. The second goal? The one where he failed yeah. to clear and himself and Alison go career and completely, completely, absolutely because because what is it in each in each uh, of those moments? Van Dyke is making a decision which he thinks is basically playing their percentages of the situation, and in both cases it goes it backfires on him and goes horribly wrong and ends up in the net. But uh, the so the so the the the, the second goal, the key goal. Um, Gabriel hits a long ball. It's it's interesting how that has been for Arsenal's breakthroughs in, in both against the City when they beat City at home and Liverpool at home. It's ultimately been just <laughs> like a, a long ball forward, which has opened the door for them. And Martinelli actually the beneficiary in both cases. But in this case, it's slightly awkward for Van Dijk to deal with. Carragher's like, he just needs to head that back. And yeah, okay, maybe he can, but it's also a bit of an awkward header. And he's just thinking, I'll let this run through to Alisson and he can clear it. If I head this... It's at an awkward kind of height and direction. I headed to Canade, fine. What happens then? What's been happening all game is every time the ball goes to a Liverpool player in midfield, they get swarmed, right? They, these Arsenal players are all over them and they, can't, they haven't been able to handle it all game. I could head this ball to Canade, maybe... You know, the, it's a risky it's a risky kind of header because of the way you've got to sort of jump and, and do it. Maybe he can pull it off. But even if he heads it straight to Canade... What happens then? Is Canada going to lose it? Uh, and then Martinelli is free. I'm kind of nowhere. Uh, and that's a dangerous situation. Or I let it go over my head and Alisson can clear it. That just seemed to him like the obvious thing to do. And in fairness, he would have got away with it if it hadn't been for the whole running into Alisson bit. You know, which Martinelli kind of obviously engineered because he he shoulders him, he he pushes him. Yeah, but that should be part of the thinking as well. It's not like it's a free run for him or the goalkeeper. There is an Arsenal attacker to worry about there. I think you're being very kind to Virgil Van Dijk. No, I think I I think you know, ninety nine times out of hundred, this is going to be an easy clearance by Alisson. Easier than the situation he's taken on by heading it, and that's the reason that he doesn't head the ball, in my opinion. So. What, well, what I'm saying is that that, to me, is the way that he typically defends, is by making these types of decisions. Oftentimes, he doesn't do anything, mm. right? Like, he's he's passive. Mm. That's that's like his style he of defending. with his aura when he's at his best. Well, this is, you know... His, his aura, is, unfortunately, had a bit of a howler at the weekend. Well, that's what he was doing. His aura was, yeah, I mean, it was poor. And, and, and remember that, the, that against Chelsea, he gave away two penalties, neither of which were awarded, you know? So he's had a couple of games this season, like the Newcastle game where he, where he did get sent off earlier in the season. That was a, a bit of a disaster. He's been generally very good, but there have been a couple of big games where he's, 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 things have gone badly. I, Chelsea, they won 4-1, but he got away with that. Um, but the, the Trossard one, where Keane's saying, look, what's he doing? What he's doing is making sure Trossard can't cut back inside him. 
Because he, he's sure that's what Trussard wants to do. Trussard is a right footer. He's coming in. Um, if Van Dijk rushes across him, he makes it easy uh, for Trussard to, to cut back across the direction of the run and have a have a better shot. Van Dijk is thinking, this isn't a good situation, but is he going to score past Allison from there? I would rather make sure he didn't get to cut back here. And that's what he... That's, that's that's the decision. Trossard in the end does have a shot. It takes a little nick off on Dyke, and that's probably the only you know, reason it actually ends up going in. But again, it's like it's this is the type of thing he does all the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think what you're saying is he defends. There is an element of the high wire act with how he defends, and sometimes you're going to fall off the high wire. You yeah. know, like that's the reality. So, I mean, I don't know that you can say it's it's still good defending. It's like no, it's baked not. into the. It's still it's baked into the into the mathematics of it and but say even the second goal with Trossard I mean if you the, if the, you the third get, goal the third goal, rather, the third goal if you can get across and to the extent where you get a deflection which actually causes the goal in the end then I mean all you're talking about is actually just getting your foot your foot six inches closer yeah. to him to actually make the block so he if you can get into position to deflect the shot you should be you able to get into position to actually block the shot yeah. in the first game. In the first yeah. Race. No, I don't. I don't think it's great, but I also think it's it's like the way that the thing is analysed is conditioned by the outcome. You know, Where, and and the the comparison that immediately occurred to me when I was listening to this was was the the famous thing that he did in the 2019 season when he was it was the Liverpool Tottenham game at Anfield if you remember this, and there was a moment when Tottenham had a breakaway, Sissoko yeah. and Son, mm-hmm. and Van Dijk is the only player defending, yeah. and you remember what he did. He just left Sissoko to it. Yeah. He was like, okay, I'm going to make sure he can't pass the sun. And that's all I can actually do. But that was dictated, like the reaction, that was dictated by the outcome as well. Yeah, no, no, exactly. But it's the same. It's the same thing. It's like, okay, I'm I'm going to cover what I think is the more dangerous option, or I'm going to leave what I think is the less dangerous option to to, to take place. And the only reason that it's not like, what was Virgil Van Dijk doing? Mm. Is Sissoko did not score that goal. You know, if Sissoko had managed to, to letter that one in. Then it would have been like, what? Look at Van Dyke. <laughs> Will you please go and attack the ball? The 80, million, 80 million defending. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, like. do you remember the, the goal Jaden Sancho scored against Liverpool uh, in. Yes. Uh, the, yeah, 2 1, the Ten Hag's first yeah. win. And that was another moment from Van Dyke where it's like, what is he doing? He he stood there. He, he kind of stood mm. there and he maybe put his arms behind his back and sort of, you know, pushed yeah. his chest out a little bit. You're like, tackle the guy. That's what James Milner was screaming at him. Yeah, yeah. If you remember after the goal, he doesn't do anything because he's like, you know, hopefully this guy's going to rush yeah. the shot. My aura should block this. Yeah. Yeah, Sancho you know, keeps his head. But so it just seems kind of, on one hand, this guy often gets praised for doing this type of you know, it's intelligent when it works out and then it's lazy when it doesn't it just mm. sort of it's like it's I the same I, I didn't think there was anything lazy I just thought the second goal was poor defending the, se- the, the second goal the one that he, where I th- he got to take control of the situation it's, it's, yeah I mean I, I, I accept what you're saying but I'm not, obviously it's not good defending <laughs> <laughs> Brano get back in here if Ken's trying to claim that's good defending it's not, it's not good no it's not good but it's it's also it was kind of unlucky it was an unusual yeah. like if it's because Alisson does kick, does kick Van Dyke. I mean this is the thing yeah. he gets pushed I mean, I into I would say it's more Alisson's fault than it is Van Dyke's. no because I, I, like Alisson is running out towards the ball like it's it's an easy job for Alisson just like all he has to do is like keep his eye on the ball and just leather it well that's what he's doing but he but as he moves his foot to, to kick the ball away it collides with Van Dijk who's, who's been pushed into his path so his foot actually hits Van Dijk that's how he misses the ball it was, it's not just the total like mm. oh well the ball's there you know um, 
but yeah, that was uh, it. Was obviously a big, a huge win for Arsenal, which kind of keeps them uh, in the title race. We'll talk a bit um, uh, to Jonathan about that about the Carragher that City City obviously were playing last night. Um, they won three uh, one in the end, pretty comfortably. Uh, the there was an interesting goal in the game where where Brentford Mopay ran through and scored. Mopay, the man of moments in the Premier League. Yeah, he's, he's, his last five matches he's, he's scored yeah. in. It's not just well, scoring, it's just his general the thorn in the side of everybody else's. Yeah. Well, thorn in the side of Kyle Walker's. You know, yeah. so Kyle Walker apparently was not happy with something. Complaining about the sledging that was going on. It appeared that Mopay, according to Walker, was uh, referring to certain uh, stories. stories about his private life that have emerged in recent times. His no longer that private, private life <laughs> after he, he had to detail. Um, uh, various episodes of that private life in an exclusive interview with the Sun. You can go and find. You can go and find that for yourself if that's the level you want to get to. <laughs> if that's the level you want to get to, the, the um, I'm going to knock about it out. on this show though. The, the, well, look, the Daily Mail's expert lip reader has <laughs> decoded the episode. Uh, uh, that is one overworked uh, person, by the way. Yeah. Just non-stop lip reading going on. D- D- Walker approached the fourth official and shouted, I'm going to knock him out, referring to Mope. Mm. To which Stuart Atwell replied, shush. Walker refused to back down and went on to say, wait there, pointing to the tunnel before walking back over. Uh, ref, he spoke about my kids. He spoke about my kids not once but twice. Mope interjected, saying, I didn't. It's okay. Uh Gillette tried to defuse the situation by saying, let's deal with it at the end. For turning to Mopé and adding, now, now, calm down, listen to me, think about it, think about it. Mopé responded uh, by saying, that's a lie, that's not fair, I promise you. So there you go. Anyway, uh, Mopé was obviously, um, Kyle Walker had the last laugh in this game. Thanks Just to on the goal, though, I think. Got across you there, yeah. yeah. It's a long ball. City pu- for, uh, furiously protesting, protesting more furiously than their own legal team about the uh, the fact that Mopé was clearly offside. Um, because professional footballers do sometimes forget that you can't be offside from a goal kick. And, you know... It just sort of bounced straight through, uh, much to everybody's surprise. Just that that one just bounced straight through. Um, but yeah, Foden in the end. I mean, a, a pretty unsurprising outcome to the game. I think yeah. overall. I mean, but even by the time that that uh, that City uh, that Brentford had scored, I think Flecken made more saves in the first half than had ever been made in the first half <laughs> before. It's just like save after save. Br- Brentford did enough to make you have to watch this game. <laughs> it's a, I yeah. kind of found, I've got my Ogbeni fix already. I, mm. Do I need to watch Brentford Man City? I'll see yeah. how it goes. Brentford score. Okay, I'm watching this one through. I know, like, I know Man City are going to win 3 1. That's what's <laughs> going to happen from here. Yeah. And of course, they win 3 1. But listen, what can you do? But salute the excellence of young Phil Foden again not, probably not a young man he's probably about 29 who knows <laughs> but yeah. he's been around a few years but Ma- Ivan Townley didn't manifest one in this week no. no he needs to get back on that still only 23 on get doing his Henry Sugar act and uh, Foden's only 23 is he yeah um, so where are we oh yeah Chelsea I mean this is this is the thing. you know they were showing Man United and I know that the Man United Erasmus Hoyland 21 years old on his, uh, birthday. on his birthday and on your birthday scoring a goal uh, playing playing well mm-hmm. Garnacho, the the three the three amigos Can't sitting on the yeah. sitting on the fence uh, lovely stuff Man United are back but I do kind of wish that they'd been showing Chelsea against Wolves because <laughs> this is just such 
what was amazing about the game really watching the highlights was Chelsea's first Chelsea's goal the first goal in this game was so good that you'd almost think this is the type of moment that should be like yes we're doing it we're finally doing it you know it's coming together for us to go from Scoring goal like that, like the brilliant uh, passes involved from Fernandez and then Caicedo and this great finish and to go one up, to then crumble the way they did and lose four two at home, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And fair play to them, I, I have to say, for staging the Thiago Silva against Pedro Neto fifty meter sprint challenge, <laughs> because you know you don't often see this type of freak show uh, event because due to woke nonsense. <laughs> Uh, these days, but Chelsea, Chelsea recognise people still like this kind of thing, really, yeah. you know. So they put it on, bit of blood sport. Jesse, Jesse Woods against a horse. <laughs> uh, we'll get, we'll get, uh, we'll get poor old Thiago Silva. He he lost the race. We, we can probably um, people's pre-race expectations were along mm. those lines. That was the three-one. Um, that was the time that Chelsea Chelsea's fans then turned on their own team or echoed the Wolves chant your shit mm. by taking it up enthusiastically um, Thiago Silva's wife uh, texted or tweeted I should say texted I, wouldn't, I don't get her text um, it's time to change if you wait any longer it will be too late and I assume she's referring to her, the, the coach Mirzu Bocchettino not, not her husband <laughs> Uh, who has apparently been at loggerheads with with Pochettino. Mudrick, uh, I see today, apparently was offering some fan out. He was like DMing him saying, what the fuck is going on with you? Did you forget how to play football? This is the, this is the message he's getting. It's not good enough. Something needs to change. Maybe do some one-on-one sessions. Every time you play, we have one player less, says the fan. Come play one on one, responds Mikhailo Mudrik for ten thousand pounds. <laughs> come, come and play me one on one for ten thousand pounds, bro. At this point, I will personally give you money every time you score. <laughs> we are all Chelsea fans uh, here. I deal with and I deal with the players and sort their stuff out. But come on, man, you have Everton next. Score for us, please. You good at football? Responds Mudrik again. You thinking? Don't do this. Don't respond. Just leave it, please. Don't do um, but they lose, uh, and and for a while it was looking like it was going to be four uh, or two four ones in a row because you know they lost four one in Liverpool now they got to lose four and home. They Thiago Silva managed to to uh, avert that statistic with a with a goal. But like, how is this? You know, it's just incredible. But I suppose it sort of reminds you of ultimately this this Chelsea team really has a lot like. There's, there's a bunch of stuff about Chelsea at the moment, you know, being written. How is this happening? Um, uh, you know, they're saying, well, we actually have a lot of internationals. It can't, it's not just a question of inexperience, but a lot of the players are new to the Premier League, I guess. And the level is actually really high. Mm. You know, you sort of forget, like, you can't just take it for granted that you're going to be like, you've got to go out and play against Pedro Neto here or your man Cunha. Cunha scored a hat trick. Like, this guy's. This guy's good. Like, do you remember the first game of the season? He absolutely ran Manchester United to pieces oh, yeah. at Old Trafford. Yeah. Just couldn't score. Yeah, and like, you, you know, you've got to be at a really high level just to be able to sort of hold your own in a game. Actually, just just miles off it. They can't. They just can't get there, or they can't get there for longer than twenty minutes at a time. Um, uh, just reading um, the the Athletic have one of these sort of deep dives on it. Uh, 
uh, there are concerns over players' ability to receive analytical information. Uh, I, I mean, just I would have thought a basic enough requirement for a footballer. Yeah, certain players are also said to have shown difficulty in accepting critical feedback. Uh, um, also, mutinous it is not, but there is a view within Chelsea that the current first team group is high in entitlement and low in hunger. Some of the new rivals have privately expressed regret at the long-term contracts they have signed and do not see the grand project that was sold to them in the first place. I think those long-term contracts <laughs> might work in your favour financially. <laughs> like I, I, I like that as well. It's like, there's like... There, there is no chance of a mutiny. Not because there is, there shouldn't be a mutiny. It's because the players couldn't even be bothered to mute, to, to to have a mutiny. Morale is too low. Yeah, yeah. You, you need you need a certain There's amount of spirit. Hunger to have for a mutiny. a mutiny because they're all really well they're, paid. They're and too they've got Your contracts. <laughs> the players are too spineless to rebel against the inept leadership. Uh, Todd Bowley has taken a step back, as we know. Uh, I mean, a step back, like literally cartoons, you know, sound effect. Door closes, you know, running down steps, door, <laughs> car door I'll slams, be back in a minute. car drives, car skids away. <laughs> like, just unbelievable. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You want to talk about a playmaker? Owen McDevitt. Owen McDevitt from Ireland's second captain show. That's a playmaker. Playmaker. The second captain's podcast. All five is a becoming Russian. The second captain's podcast. It's finger licking good. Special. Special. Now, I'm going to tell you this too. I have been hurting. Because I have been having to tell the truth about Second Captain's show in Ireland. It's something finger-licking good special. That's what I'm talking about. And they do look great because we got that finger-licking ass right. There's a load of football waiting for you on the World Service. We've also got US Murph Super Bowl preview live from Las Vegas. I'm lying there. He was on his way to Vegas when we yeah. spoke to him. It was a storm. He should have been in Vegas. Yeah. We arranged it just so that he would be talking to us from Las Vegas. But hey, listen, over there now, the weather. Anyway. 
So that is available for you to listen to a Kennedy political podcast. Po- politics podcast? Political yeah. podcast? Po- politics podcast. Sociological podcast? I think sociological is actually a better description yeah. of what... But hey, listen. So- sock pod. Sock and pod. <laughs> what does this tell us about the moment we're living in yeah. and about our future? Those kind of questions are addressed <laughs> and in Ken's future. sock pod. That's yeah. on the way tomorrow. And of course, you will be sporting independent journalism if you sign up to the Second Captain's World Service. Thank you, Murph. Thank you. A reminder of the Second Captain's podcast. Cheers, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Is part of the Acast Creator Network. What have you got to say to that, Rob? It's in our hands. Doesn't make any sense, Rob. The odds are heavily stacked in his favour. That doesn't make any sense either. Anything else? Don't pass it on. (laughs) What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports is important. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.